Um, okay, so like I said earlier, today there are a lot of things that we have to celebrate uh, this morning. So for starters, it's All Saints Day. And I don't know about you, but I, I didn't grow up in a tradition that necessarily recognized All Saints Day. It was kind of a new one to me when I was uh, becoming Anglican. But All Saints Day is the day in which we give thanks to God for all the men and the women who have been faithful in passing down the historic teachings of the church to us. And so I hope that, that even as I say that, you can be thinking right now of, of spiritual mentors, of authors who've perhaps uh, uh, shaped you in particular ways. Maybe it's your parents or your grandparents. Uh, maybe it's a friend group that you had, you know, 100 years ago uh, who were just super encouraging to you and you wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for their faithfulness to you. So today is a wonderful opportunity where we can pause and just thank God for their faithfulness. Well, the other thing that we're celebrating today is the fact that it's our church's third birthday. On this day, three years ago, we started meeting on a weekly basis at the Lake Nokomis Community Center. And praise the Lord that we have made it to three years. I won't totally geek out on like church um, planting philosophy and all that sort of stuff, but let me just tell you, three years is a big deal. And I'm just so delighted and, uh, that, that God has sustained us for these three years. This is a wonderful, wonderful accomplishment. And then also, uh, we've got some baptisms that we're celebrating today that I'm ex incredibly excited about. So thematically speaking, there's a lot going on here. But I hope you hear the constant refrain. Maybe you already caught on to it. Maybe you hear the constant theme that's going through each one of these celebrations. I think the prophet Daniel says it best. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion endures from generation to generation. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. That's what All Saints Day is all about. Or the way that Jesus prophesied over Peter, which our bishop quoted this uh, earlier this week on Thursday, if you were able to catch that. But Jesus says this. He says, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Or I love our prayer book, uh, what it says about this, uh, paraphrasing Hebrews. Jesus Christ, you are our great high priest, in you, we are being built up as, a, as living stones of a holy temple that we might offer sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving, which is holy and pleasing in your sight. You see, friends, the constant theme, the constant message today is that Jesus Christ builds his kingdom one saint at a time. And that faithfulness, his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Our souls are like homes that have fallen into disrepair. And Jesus, that gentle carpenter from Nazareth, comes and invites himself into our homes and he starts replacing rotten beams. He starts rebuilding old walls. He installs new light fixtures. He cleans out the windows, right, so that the light can come in. He, re he replants the shrubs and the trees and the flowers out in front so that we can be a beautiful dwelling place for his spirit. He is the wonderful, beautiful restorer of our soul. And his faithfulness endures from generation to generation. So this morning, I want us to look at that beautiful story from John chapter 21. This is a, a story that's a favorite of mine. It's a, it's a, a, we've, we've taught on this several times at Restoration, including the very first Easter service that we had, before we even started weekly services uh, on, on the beach of Lake Nokomis. Uh, we preached this sermon then. It was, it was a fun occasion as well. So I thought, in honor of our baptism, in honor of God's faithfulness, let's turn again to this story of restoration from John chapter 21. 
And I want to go through this in three different movements. The first movement is this. Now, the disciples are in a very confusing place at this moment. Now, this story does take place after the resurrection, and the disciples have seen Jesus a couple of times, but these are peculiar interactions. So Jesus has talked with them, had conversations with them. He's eaten with them. They've, they've broken bread with one another. They've seen him actually pick up food and eat it. Also, they've seen him uh, uh, interact with Thomas, where, where, he, they invi- or where Jesus invited Thomas to touch his wounds. So we know that Jesus is not just some sort of ghost or some sort of vision that they're having, but no, he's a real resurrected human who is talking and, and walking with them and, and touching them. And so on one hand, the disciples clearly know that Jesus is here, and there's something otherworldly that's happening, because people... People don't just come back from the dead. But on the other hand, it's not like before. Something's different. Something's strange. Because Jesus is is moving through walls. Uh, He's talking with the disciples, but then he'll disappear. It's almost as if he has other matters that he's attending to somewhere else. And so the disciples are in this weird place, this weird tension right now between wonder and awe of, of, of Jesus coming back to life, but also confusion as to, where in the world is this story going next? And there's probably a bit of despair in that moment as well, being like, why, why can't Jesus stay with us all the time? And so here we find the disciples. <laughs> we find the disciples, and Peter says to them, just kind of in confusion, kind of wondering, like, I need to just get out of my own head for a minute. And he says, I'm going to go fishing. And this isn't some kind of like celebratory, like, all right, boys, we've had a great day. Like, let's go hit the water now and hang out and relax. No, this is a... Brothers, I have no idea what's going on right now, uh, so let's go out on the lake and just do what we've always done. Like, let's, let's get out of our own heads. And the other disciples are like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's go do that. So I wonder what that night felt like, that night sitting on the boat, bobbing on the sea of Tiberias. Was it cloudy and overcast? You know, was it kind of a gloomy night? Or maybe there wasn't a cloud in the sky, and they could, they could look up, but they could see the moon there kind of glistening on the water, perhaps. You know, maybe they could see the full uh, sprinkling of all the night stars. What was that night like? And as they cast their nets into the water, what sort of thoughts and questions were coming or rattling around in their minds? Did they even speak very much that night? Did they tell stories of Jesus? Did they remember all the beautiful miracles and words of wisdom that he was able to teach? Or maybe they were just silent as they bobbed there on the water. You know, maybe they allowed their questions just to kind of bounce around silently within them. Will we see Jesus again? What's going to happen next? Where is he? Was the last time we saw him? Was that the last time that we'll see him ever? Well, in the same way in which those fishermen were drawing up nets empty of any fish, so their questions were coming up empty that night as well. It was a long night with no fish and no answers. Now, if I'm being honest, if I'm being transparent with you, I think our church is kind of in this fishing at midnight kind of moment right now. I think that's exactly where we are as Restoration Anglican here in 2020. And I want to be honest, this is not the third birthday that I exactly expected. I sort of alluded to that last week. Um, there's a lot of things that, that make me sad about today. In fact, several weeks ago, it was when we were still doing outdoor services, 
Molly, she just, you know, very sweetly just said to me, so how, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And I was in a tough spot. And I just immediately started crying, you know? Because, like, this is not the way that I thought things would look. I was already looking ahead, thinking about our third birthday, thinking about, you know, what all these church growth experts or whatever are talking about. And, you know, like, oh, like, that's not what our third birthday is going to look like. Now, bear with me. The story does get better. But as I was thinking about this stuff, I was thinking, like, man, I don't, I don't like having to ask people to wear masks. Like, I really miss preaching to your smiling faces or scowling faces, maybe. But, you know, I really miss being able to see your smiles. I miss being able to, to look you in the eyes and, and, and hear your laughter clearly. You know, I don't like being socially distanced. You know, it, it bugs me that we all have to spread out like this. You know, why can't we get everybody in the room at the same time? Like, that's just really sad. I miss our prayer times before the service. I miss being able to, to stand in that gymnasium and look down the hallway and see some of the, the club kids kind of bebopping around in the hallway. I miss hearing the, the, the cries and the, you know, the gaggles and the laughter from the preschoolers meeting in their classroom. I really miss that. I really miss singing my heart out at the beginning of the service. I don't like that we've had to cut so much music out. I really miss our prayer ministry during the Eucharist time. And I know you guys do as well because I hear you talking about it. When are we going to do this again? I really miss the, the fellowship time that would happen after the service. And you know what? I even miss that, that stupid, uh, obnoxious sportsmanship code that was so distracting that was always in the middle of the gymnasium, right where we should have a cross. I miss that thing, right? And so when Molly asked me, how are you doing? Like all that grief just came up and just burst up within me. And I don't, I don't share this to make us all kind of feel bad and have this like, you know, melodramatic, I don't, I don't mean to be a wet blanket on all of this. I share this because I know you're all going through the same thing. I know that when you, you know, are thinking about the holidays this year or vacations at some point, like it's not the way that you want it to go. In fact, just after the, the first service, I was talking with someone who was just in tears because she's like, I just want to go and visit my family. I haven't seen them in months. I know your jobs are different. I know your neighborhoods are different. The way in which you hang out with your friends are totally different. And so again, I don't share the, the disappointment with the way in which church is right now to, to um, weigh us down. I, I, I share that because I know that you're all feeling that in lots of different ways as well. Well, friends, it feels like, you know, on one hand, yes, we are people of the resurrection. And we have tremendous stories of faith that we hold on with, to dear life. So we know that. We know that God is with us. But also, on the other hand, sometimes it feels like we're just draw, pulling up these empty nets in the middle of the night, bobbing on the lake, wondering what in the world is going to happen next. It feels like we're fishing at midnight. Now I'm going to talk about restoration again. But I want to return back to the story of John chapter 21. Because, friends, this is a story of great news. This is a story of tremendous news. And the truths that we read in this passage are just as true today as they were 2,000 years ago. This is a resurrection story. This is a redemption story. This is a restoration story. So let's move to the second part. Because here's, here's the remarkable thing about this story. Never for a second did Jesus take his eyes off of those disciples. He's been watching them. He knows all of their names. He's been seeing them out on the, on the lake there. He's been watching them pull up these empty note, nets. And they might think that they're alone. 
They might think that they're just on the middle of the lake, but as it turns out, Jesus is on the shore watching them like a hawk. And what's even better than that? He's got a feast waiting for them. He's cooking for them. He's got breakfast waiting for them. I can just imagine Jesus just kind of stand on the edge of the water there, just kind of bobbing, you know, kind of like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to bring them in here and to talk with them. And, and to, I've got some food ready for them. Like Jesus is so excited to surprise his friends, his disciples at this moment. So Jesus calls out. He hollers out these new instructions to them. He says, cast your net on the other side. And there's a miraculous catch. Peter realizes what's going on. And he does Peter things. You know, he freaks out and he, he jumps into the water with all his clothes on. Okay. Uh, and, then, and then there's this beautiful charcoal fire on the beach. It's such a peculiar note. There's a charcoal fire. Charcoal fires take a while to make. That, you know, the fire's been burning for a long time. Jesus has been waiting a while for them. Again, he has this morning feast for them. He's telling the disciples, you're not alone. You're not forgotten. You're not abandoned. In other words, you see what Jesus is doing here? This is a story of restoration. He is restoryizationing their lives right now. He's taking them from one narrative and placing them into another narrative. What do I mean by that? I mean, it's, this is a beautiful, redemptive reenactment for the disciples. This story of, of making fish for them is giving them hints and allusions to, to previous events in the ministry of Jesus. It reminds them of when they were very first called as disciples and Jesus provided a miraculous catch for them. It also reminds them of the, of the miraculous multiplication of fish and bread at the feeding of the 5,000. It also reminds them of that last meal in the upper room in which Jesus took bread and he shared it with them. Which, by the way, in this John 20, this is as an aside, did you notice in this John 21 story that sacramental Eucharistic language that was used there? Jesus took bread and he gave it to them. You know, the early church, they read that and they just immediately recognized it as Eucharistic language. It's as if John, the author of this, he's saying that this Jesus encounter on the beach is the same Jesus encounter that we have here at the table every single week. So through this event, through this one miraculous feast, Jesus is saying all those acts that you witnessed of God's kingdom breaking forth into the world, they're still happening. They will continue on. The miracles, the wisdom that was exposited, the changed lives, that's not over yet. When you saw me hanging on the cross, it was not hope that died. No, it was sin and death that died. Jesus is standing on the beach saying, friends, the kingdom is just getting started. We're just getting started here. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So friends, God has not taken his eyes off of our church either. He's watching restoration. He's giddy for us. He's excited for us. In fact, as I've been thinking about this throughout this week, I think, I think that for these last three years, I think God has been preparing our congregation for such a time as this. You know, I think about, I think about that silly um, meeting that we had a, a few years ago. A, a handful of you were there. We were talking about what can we do as a Christmas outreach event. And someone was like, oh, what if we rented the Parkway movie theater and played Christmas movies all day long and gave away free tickets to the neighborhood? And I was, I have to admit, I was pretty cranky in that meeting. I was like, what? That's a horrible idea. But it was great. We had hundreds of people come for that. 
And I remember talking with Eddie, the owner of the parkway. At that, this was like several years ago. And I said, would you ever have a church meeting here? And he's like, yeah, it's, I think so. I don't know. We, we kind of work on that. But Eddie's been thinking about that now for a few years. And so when we're having a staff meeting, uh, you know, a couple months ago, and Christy's like, have you thought about doing the parkway? I go to Eddie, and he's like, oh, yeah, it'd be great. Like, he, we already have that relationship of trust. The Lord has been preparing a way for us already. And also, I think about the fact that we have so many gifted, humble teachers in our congregation. And he has given us an imagination for, for what does in-depth Bible study look like at Restoration. And while we were at the community center, I, always, I was always saying, like, ah, we're a set-up, tear-down church. We can't have Sunday school because, you know, everyone's doing set-up and tear-down. But now our imaginations have been stretched, and we've been using these teachers to offer these series and other kinds of teaching opportunities. Again, the Lord has been going before us. But also, he continues to pour out his gifts upon us. His gifts of, of radical hospitality, of passionate community during this time. Everyone has always commented about the radical hospitality of this congregation. Maybe it's because the Lord knew that there was going to be a moment in which our hospitality was going to be tested. Our sense of community was going to be tested. Maybe he wanted to have that firm foundation already set in stone. And you as a people have been incredibly generous. You've given thousands of dollars away to compassion funds, to people who've been struck particularly hard during this COVID season. You've been eager to have conversations about racial reconciliation. You've been eager to join cleanup crews after our neighborhoods were hit with this, this terror. You helped to help with those cleanup crews. So by the power of God's grace, this church marches on. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And as someone said to me a couple of weeks ago, just after the service, they said, Pastor Rick, God is at work here, and I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. You see, friends, I think that restoration, when all this pandemic stuff is over and done, I think that we're going to live up to our name in a very new way. Restoration, she will live up to her name. A lot of us know what restoration means on an individual level. Now we're going to know it as a community level as well. Even though we have been dispersed and scattered, even though we've got a third of the congregation at one service, a third of the congregation at another service, a third of the congregation online, we will be restored back into one community again someday. Well, I love how this story in John 21 ends. You see, Peter and, and Jesus, they kind of have some unfinished business to attend to, don't they? Now, if you're familiar with the story of Peter... You know that he's constantly messing things up. That's, that's who Peter is. He's constantly messing things up. In fact, if you listen to our bishop's teaching from Thursday, you, you kind of heard a litany of Peter's shortcomings, which were uh, just a little overwhelming and embarrassing to hear. But, but Peter is the kind of guy who's always speaking out of turn. He's all, he rarely understands Jesus' teaching. He's been corrected by God the Father at the transfiguration. And Jesus himself had to turn to Peter at one point and say, get behind me, Satan. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Well, after Jesus is captured and taken and handed over to the religious leaders who then crucify him, some people come to Peter and they say, do you know that guy? And three times Peter denies that he even knows Jesus. So this story that we have here this morning, it's not just a story of fishermen who are finally finding their fish. No, this is a story of an individual, Peter, carrying around a massive burden of guilt and shame, and then, coming, or then Jesus doing some work here. 
Because Jesus, in spite of all of this, in spite of all the follies of Peter, Jesus never gives up on him, ever. So Jesus pulls Peter aside and he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter answers Jesus. He says, yes, Lord, I love you. And here we see question by question, brick by brick, over and over, Jesus rebuilds and restores Peter's weary soul. Friends, God loves to restore sinners. God loves to restore sinners. That's, and he does it generation by generation. That's the story of this day. That's the story of All Saints Day. Our God is faithful even when we're rebelling against him, even though we're denying him, all these sorts of things. He is faithful to us and he restores sinners. Now, one way that we're going to celebrate this is through holy baptism today. Now, this isn't just some sort of strange ritual that Christians just kind of do every now and then because it's, it's said so in the Bible. No, we also do this. We do this because this is a moment in which a hand from heaven reaches out. God reaches out and touches his people. He redeems them. He, he washes them clean and he clothes them in the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. This is when the church declares with the authority of Jesus, you belong to me. You have a home now. You have a table that you can sit down at. Baptism is the restoryization of our lives. It's when our lives, we move from one narrative to another. We realize that even though it might feel like we're drifting at midnight in a boat, bobbing on a lake, Jesus was on the shore, keeping an eye on us, preparing a meal for us. It's Jesus who transforms our midnight drifting into morning light. He transforms our labors of exhaustion into leisure on the beach. He transforms our empty stomachs into an abundant feast. As the prophet Daniel says, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. How great are his signs, how mighty are his works. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, your faithfulness endures from generation to generation. We thank you for all the saints, all the men and women and children who you've partnered with in proclaiming the good news of your kingdom on through the ages. We thank you for them. Lord Jesus, we now pray for Josiah and Samuel as, as they um, come forward for baptism. Lord, even in this moment, may they sense the love of the church. May they sense the love of you, Father in heaven, through these waters of baptism. And it is in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray these things. Amen.